Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Hi, and welcome to a special bonus episode of Talking France. If this is your first time listening to Talking France, you should check out our regular weekly podcast, which looks at a wide range of news, talking points and cultural questions from France. But for this bonus episode, we are sticking to one subject in particular, focusing on the political crisis and protests against pension reform that have gripped the country in recent weeks. Regular listeners to Talking France will be familiar with the voice and views of our French politics expert, John Litchfield, who's reported on the country for over 25 years. John's been keeping a close eye on the ongoing turmoil in France. So for this bonus episode, I asked him to delve a little deeper to help us understand just what's going on and what might happen next. Why has France become so angry? Why have protests turned violent? Is this different to previous movements? And how and when will things calm down? These are just some of the questions I put to John. The level of anger towards the government seems to have gone up a notch or two in recent weeks. What's the reason for that? Is this all about pension reform still? It's difficult. Obviously, one of the reasons why I think Macron was perhaps unwise to push this perfectly legitimate and modest reform at this moment is that there is a sort of exhaustion in the country post-COVID. There is sort of anxiety because of the high inflation. There are other issues out there in the country. But I think there is the pension reform is still the core issue and still the cause of the anger. I mean, the fact that he used the uh, Article 439, uh, 493 rather to push it through has sort of pushed things up one notch, but that's been used so many times before. One can't believe that suddenly the country has decided that something that's been part of its constitution for more than 60 years is is a wicked thing. I think this is partly that the anger has been deliberately stoked by the opposition, which is legitimate politically, I suppose, over many months. The, the, the language of the left and the unions has often been quite violent before the violence themselves, you know, talk of stopping this by force. Political violence in France is a strange phenomenon at the best of times. And I think, therefore, this has accumulated in, in this sort of peak of, of national anger. But the violence itself, the connection between the violence we saw last Thursday in Paris and the anger in the country is something that sort of escapes me, really. It, the, the violence last week was largely from people who are sort of almost professionally violent, you know, people who are extreme left, who are wanting to bring down the country, bring down the state, bring down capitalism. Their interest in pension reform is minimal. Their hatred for the unions and for the for the left-wing parties is almost as great as that for their hatred for Macron. And yet this is somehow reported by all of us, you know, the international media, the national media, and taken by politicians themselves as somehow all the same a kind of legitimate expression, or perhaps an illegitimate expression, but a débordement, an excess of the anger that's in the country. Well, it seems to me that the two things are not so directly connected as that. It is a very, very difficult situation to get a handle on, I think, at the moment. I mean, John, we should say that up until perhaps Macron's use of 49.3, the protests against pension reform were largely trouble-free. It's very difficult to understand why the violence has spread now. I don't think it is directly because of, of the pension reform. I don't think it's directly because of use of 4.93, but it's the people who are out there the whole time, violent groups, often from abroad, not just France, who are able to use this sort of level of anger in the country 
and the fact that they're doing what they're doing is sort of it's sort of exploited by the opposition to the pension reform. It's also exploited to some extent by the government. So there is a sort of almost a kind of conspiracy of um, different conflicting interests to not to keep the violence going, but not to speak genuinely what the violence is, which is something quite separate, really, from the anger about pension reform itself. John, the, the, the images that have kind of gone around the world have caused you know, a fair amount of shock abroad. They've got a lot of global media attention. But perhaps that you know, there's nothing new in France. We've seen violent protests in recent years, you know, over labor law reforms under former President Francois Hollande and under Macron. Then, of course, the Gilets Jaunes movement that you mentioned was marred by kind of extreme violence, especially at the beginning. Does this feel any different? What's happening now? Things have changed, Ben. You know, political violence is a strange phenomenon in France. It's, you know, there is a sort of romanticization of the idea of the state having been created in a revolution. And someone like Mélenchon's political hero is, is Robespierre still, you know. So there is a sense that violence is, in a sense, legitimate. At the same time, a, a great reliance on the state, something I've described before as a sort of the teenage attitude French to the state, both reliance on and sort of tantrums against at the same time. So what's changed, I think, is that, you know, I've been writing on France 25, 26 years, that the violence used to be kind of theatrical in a way. There were kind of rules of engagement. It has got worse, you know, the kinds of almost lethal weapons that are being used are by some of the protesters, uh, acid and petant balls and things are go beyond what used to be the case in, in farmers' demonstrations, fishermen's demonstrations, that kind of thing, which I've covered o- over the years. The police, you know, you can't completely separate all this from the actions of the police. And the French police we've spoken about before are somewhat alluring to themselves, and they often do behave in unfortunate ways in, during these demonstrations. They're sort of a weird mixture of extremely stoic and professional some of the units and others who seem to feel they have a right when they're not being observed directly to do what they want and to attack anyone and to arrest anyone. And a lot of the arrests of people who were released the next day because there was nothing at all for them to have been arrested for. So that, you know, is also part of the mix, if you like. But I think there has been a shift towards much more extreme forms of violence in demonstrations in recent years. You could see that the worst of the Gilets Jaunes movement, when you remember they were burning newspaper kiosks on the Champs-Élysées. Yeah, John, I mean, you touched on this point of the the police. When violence erupts at protests, you know, in cities around France, like you mentioned last Thursday, and also at the weekend uh, in the protest against the mega basin in Western France by environmentalists, protesters and extremists who joined that protest and police get hurt, protesters get hurt. And it's always followed by a blame game in which maybe, you know, the government and and those on the right blame the protesters and then left-wing parties uh, and the protesters themselves blame the brutal police tactics, you know, and the injuries on both sides uh, can be pretty severe. Who's to blame? Both sides? You know, in, in that case, you had an attack on, on this reservoir, a big, big reservoir, one of a lot that have been created in that part of the world to try and create new sources of water for farmers. The uh, ecological movement believes that that is the wrong approach and that it's absolutely encouraging sort of uh, water-greedy forms of farming, which is going to cause more problems they have. 
that argument is a legitimate argument, and I think you know the demonstrations against them have some point. But the fact was that the demonstration was banned. This is a legitimate and legal business that was being created there, and thousands of people decided against the legal ban on the demonstration to trample the farmland, and essentially they wanted to attack or occupy that re- reservoir and prevent it from being completed or built. So for the left to say that this was somehow a picnic, you know, a sort of a family occasion when people were going to press and test and go away and that the police, had they not turned up in huge numbers, there would not have been been violence is is clearly hypocritical and wrong. You know, these people came with Molotov cocktails with petant balls, acid, all the things. They set fire to, was it eight or nine gendarmerie vehicles? You know, there was a big element of that crowd which was, wanted to be violent and was intending to be violent. On the occasion, the police defeated them. You know, their tactics were unexpectedly clever. They used those weird four-wheel vehicles to sort of round up and send the demonstrators back. So I think there was a lot of frustration on the part of both peaceful and violent demonstrators that they hadn't achieved what they wanted to achieve, and therefore they blamed the police for having been over-violent. And it's true. I think maybe the police overreaction was overreaction, but had they allowed demonstration to happen and and the reservoir had been badly damaged or occupied permanently, that would have caused another crisis for the government. So I think it was a legitimate defence of of illegal activity, which was being threatened by thousands of people, not just from France, but from all over over the world. So it's very similar in a way, as you say, to what what happened in Paris, that, you know, the left says that all this violence is somehow caused by the police as if somehow newspaper kiosks being set on fire, banks being smashed, capitalist bus shelters being smashed, is somehow a response to elements of police activity, which are also questionable. No, a lot of those people turned out as to cause violence in the first place. And frankly, the behaviour of some of the police is extraordinarily brave and stoic in the face of the provocation they get. John, just for context, we know we, we have a lot of listeners and readers abroad who are kind of shocked and worried by the images of violence that they're seeing on news screens across the globe uh, without wanting to minimalise, you know, some of the clashes that take place. Is it right that, you know, away from these kind of the protests, life in France is going on pretty much as normal? Yes, it is, I think. You know, I mean, in a sense, it's different parts of France are affected at different times. Here am I in, in rural Normandy, which is in something of a format ferment during the Gilets Jaunes periods, because this is one of the hotbeds of the Gilets Jaunes movement in, in the early days. Absolutely quiet and peaceful here now, not a roundabout occupied for miles, as far as I can see. It's mostly an urban thing. There are some some of the larger rural towns, I think, where there's a certain amount of protest. But, you know, essentially the violence is coming in five or six towns where there are large young student left-wing activist populations, uh, Rennes, Bordeaux, Toulouse, Montpellier, Paris, obviously. Um, large parts of the country are untouched by the violence, but not by the anger. I think, you know, I find it difficult to do so, but I, I want to try and separate genuine anger against what I think is a fairly modest reform, but it's a genuine, genuine anger, a sincere anger, felt by a lot of people, and the violence. And I don't think that the anger and the violence necessarily connect in the way that we tend to report them, uh, not saying the local France does, but certainly the French national media and the international media reports these things as somehow the direct cause of of the pension protest. But it's more than that, you know. I I think there is sort of almost a romanticism of political violence, which means that there are many, many young people in France who seize seize on these opportunities to, to cause destruction. And I don't know whether they just do it out of fun like hot football hooligans I think some of them perhaps genuinely believe that this is a step towards a kind of revolution 
that they want. It is a very strange situation France gets itself in with political violence, with tolerance of political violence over the years, which used to be, as I say, quite theatrical, but has become much more threatening. Mm. John, you touched on, on it a moment ago about this romanticism around violence and, and the kind of street and protest. You know, I've seen lots of young people carrying placards referencing May 1968, you know, Macron, if you impose 49.3, will impose 1968 on you, you know, graffiti referring to 1968. Does France romanticise the power of the street, you know, too much? Does it over-romanticise it? Yes, it does. And has anything good come from French revolutions in the past? You know, if you read Simon Sharma's wonderful book about the French Revolution, citizens, you come away thinking that, in fact, the French Revolution set France back 20 or 30 years, that it was a country that was a bit like Britain, beginning to sort of emerge into a new world, industrial revolutions and so on, and the violence of the French Revolution actually prevented something different and more positive emerging more rapidly than it did, as slowly as it did. So uh, 1968 is even before my time then, only just, you know, I was a student in Britain just after that. But, you know, I think 1968 was different. If you look at the pictures of the kids in May 1968, in the very early pictures, they're all wearing sort of jackets and smart suits and ties and, you know, neat skirts or neat hairdos. By the end of the revolution, they're all in purple trousers and long hair. It was almost the sort of... France was a very conservative place in in the 50s and early 60s under De Gaulle. And it was an explosion of social anger of social wish to take part in in the kind of cultural revolutions that were happening in America and Britain and elsewhere by that time. There was, you know, a genuine cause, I think, for for May 68 beyond the issues at stake, which were whether people could sleep with their girls and girlfriends and boyfriends in university dormitories. And it was all about something initially very, very small. But as you said earlier, lots of other issues got tied up in it. It became a workers' revolt as well, which was solved by a huge increase in, in salaries. I think May 1968, did it produce anything positive for France in the end? Maybe it did. You know, it released a, a sort of the, the sort of blanket of de Gaulle's conservative in the post-war years in which France was finding it very difficult to face up to what had happened during the war. And I think it, it was the beginning of France entering a more, you know, realistic uh, assessment of its own failings and, and led to some positive things. I, I can't believe that what we're involved here now is, is anything as creative as May 1968 partially was. I don't think we are going in that direction. I have a sense that the thing is now gone into a long period of kind of sullen anger rather than, you know, I think possibly the worst of the anger is over. And what's interesting is you look below the headlines about marches and violence is the strikes are now virtually falling apart. The rabbi strike in Paris is, is over. I don't think it's going to come back very quickly. The numbers of people striking on the railways and in schools and in public offices is now actually very small. So the unions have a problem as well. Macron has a problem, but the unions have a problem as how to continue this movement. Um, and it's sort of convenient for all of them to talk about violence, as I say before, but um, underlying that, the sort of great majority of, of the protests um, I think it's a bit of a crossroads. I think we're probably going to go into a period of long, sullen standoff that the, the law will be will be implemented next September. But who knows? It's very difficult to predict. John, you have answered my final question. I mean, I was just going to ask you about, you know, everybody here is talking about La Porte de Sortie. Where is it? You know, where is this exit door for this current crisis? How do we get back to a period of calm? You think that the strikes will peter out, the anger will die down and will return to some kind of politics as normal, albeit with Macron unable to kind of pass through any major reforms over the next four years? I think, yes, I think broadly that's what I think. But um, 
it's very difficult to read the situation. I, I think a lot will depend on what happens in the Conseil Constitutionnel, which is one of the three bodies in France that performs some of the duties of the US Supreme Court. It's the part that has to just decide whether new laws are constitutional or not. It's going to decide whether this new law on pension reform is constitutional, both the way it was passed and what it says. In probably two or three weeks' time, you never know when they're going to pronounce. They always just pronounce. Um, they have to, I think, by mid-April, and so it'll be in the next couple of weeks. And it's possible that they very, very rarely actually completely strike down the law. I think it's only ever happened once since 1958. They do sometimes so say that these bits are not right to take them out, which they may do on this occasion. But the basic law, I think, will be approved. But, you know, the Conseil Constitution now has an opportunity to force a kind of exit by saying, no, we think this is unconstitutional, start again. And whether that's a good thing or not, I don't know, but it would at least stop the protests, I suppose. It would, I think, pretty well destroy the rest of Macron's uh, term, but I think the rest of Macron's term is going to be a pretty grim affair domestically anyway. I mean, you know, the reason why wanted pension reform because he thought that unless he could get that, he couldn't get anything. Well, it turns out he can get pension reform, but at the price of everything else. So has he actually achieved anything, one might ask? Yes, I think possibly he has. You know, I think pension reform was necessary, and at least he'll say he was able to achieve that. But I, I think more we're going into what I was saying earlier, a long period of sullen standoff. Uh, there's supposed to be talks between Elizabeth Bourne, the Prime Minister, and the unions on Tuesday. I think, and the unions have said, yes, we'll go and see her, but if she refuses to talk about raising the pension age from 62 to 64, we'll walk out, which I suspect what will happen. Um, so no, I don't see there's going to be any kind of reconciliation. I don't see there's going to be any kind of back down willingly on the part of Macron or even unwillingly. What he's trying to do is change the subject by introducing other uh, policies which he thinks the unions would be interested in talking to him about, like this idea of having some sort of law on value added. So firms with huge profits would have to share that increased value with their employees rather than just spend it on um, buying back their shares or increasing executive salaries. That's something obviously the unions would like to talk about, but whether they'd be willing to talk willingly in this climate uh, is not clear. So he's, Macron's using that as a bait to try and get them back into into more positive relationship with the government. All of that will probably happen up to a point over many weeks, but I, I think we're in for two or three more weeks of disruption, hopefully nothing like as violent or as extreme as we saw last week. But uh, I think a period of sort of sullen standoff is what we're looking at now. A big thanks to John Litchfield for giving us that extra analysis and a reminder to listeners that John writes a weekly political column for The Local and you can find it on our website, thelocal.fr. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads.